morning. So uh, I opened up my app that I use for prayer in the mornings, uh, most mornings, and it said it was Mother's Day. And I said, what? It's Mother's Day? It's Mother's Day in many countries around the world, but not here, which I was much relieved to hear because I thought, I'm sure that's in May. Uh, but if you're watching and you're from one of those country, countries, uh, happy Mother's Day. <laughs> so as of the beginning of 2021, the total rentable self-storage space in the United States equaled 1.9 billion square feet. 1.9 billion square feet. That is enough, just to get a picture of this, for every single person in the United States to have almost six square feet to store all their stuff. Or put another way, that is enough for the almost 329 million people who live in the United States to get together underneath all the canopy of the self-storage units in the country and have enough space almost to social distance. <laughs> now, I don't say that because, you know, I'm trying to criticize people who use self-storage or anything like that. Please don't hear it that way. I, 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 it's just an observation. There are good reasons, right reasons, why someone might need some self-storage. But it is an observation, and I say it in part also because I think it... Uh, gives us a picture of the temptation or the tendency that we have uh, to store up more stuff than we do, for some of us anyway, more stuff than we need, uh, to treasure up treasures as we talked about last week. And it can, and it can also uh, um, lead us to the temptation to think that more stuff, more money will make us happy. Alan Alda said this, It isn't necessary to be rich and famous to be happy, it's only necessary to be rich. Now, I think, I hope he was saying that tongue-in-cheek, but he does, he does uh, deal with, dip his toes into the lie that Jesus is dealing with in our passage this morning. Um, last week, we looked at the first part, both of these two sections, last week's and this week's, uh, ver- last week was verses 19 to 24 in chapter 6 of Matthew, and that dealt with uh, money and treasures and the right attitude toward our possessions and so forth. And Jesus is going to continue to have that conversation. So in Matthew uh, 6, verses uh, 19 to 24, one of the things we looked at was the good eye, the good eye being an idiom in that day and age, for, or a healthy eye, for someone who was generous. They had light from within, from within them, and that light and their way of thinking poured out into the world through their eyes and enabled them to be generous and compassionate. In this way, then, they served God and not mammon, as you recall, which is the Semitic word, the Hebrew word for money and possessions. We also learned about the bad eye. The bad eye was, or the unhealthy eye, was a person who was stingy, filled with darkness that spilled out in the world and made one selfish. This was a person who served the God of mammon and not the God of Israel. And so Jesus has some things to connect these things to one another, what we talked about last week and what we're going to talk about this week, because it turns out that if you live a certain way, if you live a certain way, the way we talked about last week, it can have other uh, consequences in your life. The word therefore is the first word in our passage. It tells us these two things are connected. So as scholar Dale Allison put it, those who do not store up treasure on earth, this is all last week's passage, who are generous with what they have, and who serve God instead of mammon are inviting anxiety. 
If you live that way, if you hold loosely things, if you are a generous person, you could become anxious about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, where you're going to live. And so Jesus jumps in, and as he does, he's going to use the word worry like five times in this passage. And he's going to give us reasons not to worry. And he's going to give us illustrations to help us see why we should not worry. The first illustration. God provides for creation. We just heard it read, so I'm going to read that part again. And he mentions the birds and the flowers. God provides for creation, right? He supplies the need of creation. He says it this way. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valued than they? So I have a bird feeder in my office outside my window. And um, I, every day I come into the office, I put bird seed in there. And I love, I enjoy feeding the birds, providing seed, watching them. But I've noticed something about my birds. My birds are not exactly like Jesus' birds appear to be. Take a look. There they are. Okay. Get out, you guys. This is mine. Okay. Eh, we're fine. Wait, and when you have stuff, someone will always come along and try to steal your stuff. No, this is mine. Stay away. No, oh, somebody else came in. Now, here's the guy. This is the guy's king of the heap here. Look. No. Mine. Go away. Okay. Nope. Get back. Mine. Here's my favorite one coming up. Don't even think about it. <laughs> nope. See? He is tough. And now he's able to sit there in his own little pile of treasure and enjoy himself. There's a mindset of scarcity in the world. There's a mindset of abundance. And it appears to me that my birds have a mindset of scarcity. There's not enough. And the birds that Jesus refers to appear to have a mindset of abundance. There's plenty. Although, the reality is, uh, Jesus is not talking about whether or not the birds truly understand that God provides them. He's simply saying, look at how they live. They don't work at it. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't harvest. They're just fed. They're just fed. So, scholar Amy Jill Levine from Vanderbilt University puts it this way. Jesus is not saying we should be like the birds or the lilies. Our jobs include the sowing, the reaping, the harvesting, the textile manufacturing, and so on. But we can learn from the simplicity and the ephemerality, a word I had to look up, transitory, temporary, of their lives. Not only can we look, but we can also consider. We can learn. So what we can learn from looking at the birds the message translation says it this way. Look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, careless in the care of God, and you count far more to him than birds. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann, who's a favorite of mine personally, a couple decades ago wrote an article in which he uh, took all the narrative of the Old Testament and looked at all the places that we see these two things at work. The myth of scarcity versus the reality of abundance. The myth of scarcity versus the reality of abundance. So, for example, look at the story of the Exodus. The Hebrews are enslaved in Egypt, and Pharaoh operates from the myth of scarcity. There's not enough. The Hebrews are multiplying. They may overtake us, so we make things harder on them because there's not enough. 
And then the people of Israel are led out into the wilderness. And what do they encounter? They encounter the reality of abundance. God feeds them bread, meat, water from the rock. He divides the sea so they can go through. And as they are in the wilderness, which apparently is the only place you can learn these lessons sometimes, they discover not the myth of scarcity, but the reality of God's abundance. And so the myth of scarcity leads to hoarding and injustice and violence and greed. The reality of abundance leads us to a place of trust and generosity and freedom and abundant life in Christ. And so, two illustrations. God provides for creation birds and flowers, and the second illustration, it doesn't work. It doesn't work, Jesus says. You can't add one inch to your height. You can't add an hour to your life by worrying. Stop doing it. It accomplishes nothing. Although we do know that worrying and a life of anxiety can have negative impacts on our health. Our mental health, our emotional health, our relationships, and our physical health. And so then Jesus sort of sums all this up. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Jesus is not saying us you should never be concerned about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, where you're going to live. He's not saying you should never think about having your basic needs met. He's simply saying there's a better way to live. And worrying does you absolutely no good at all. No, there's a difference between concern and worry. Concern leads to action. Concern leads to action. So if, if your budget is about to get tighter because your hours have been cut back at work or what have you, then you tighten the budget. You, you don't eat out as often. You buy your clothes at Goodwill instead of wherever you buy them. Oh, here's something really cool. I have never lived, I don't know if you know this, I've never lived in a place in my entire life where the first Saturday of every single month, a siren goes off to tell you that everything at Goodwill is half off today. We call it the Goodwill siren at my house. We think it's pretty awesome. So concern leads to action. James Bryan Smith, author of the book The Good and Beautiful Life, says this about worry and concern. Worry is what we do after we have planned, prepared, and acted properly. When we continue to stew about something, we have crossed into the world of worry. Worry is a disproportionate level of concern based on an inappropriate measure of fear. Concern, caution, and care are all acceptable and even necessary, but worry is what happens when we go beyond these and fear what we can't control. So concern leads to action, and worry paralyzes us. Don't worry, Jesus says. Don't give in to worry. It doesn't do you any good, and as I said, it can only bring you harm. It's not going to accomplish anything. Better if you're going to use your energy in something, use it on focusing on something beyond yourself, something bigger, that will enable you to get to that place of not worrying. So Jesus says this in verses 33 and 34. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus is not saying you will never encounter trouble in the world. He is not saying there are not things in the world that are worth worrying about. There are. He's saying just don't do it. Live into a different way of being. Give yourself over to God's kingdom. 
And what that means for us, practically speaking, is we make God's priorities our priorities. We take God's priorities and they go to the top of our to-do list. And really, that's a lot of what we've been looking at. Those things make up a lot of what we've been looking at in the Sermon on the Mount. These things are kingdom things. These things are God's priorities. And when we do that, we see the world differently. And then he says, I want to tell you this, when he uses the word seek, seek does not just mean seek the way we think of it, it is to seek by meditating and reasoning, to crave, to aim at, to strive after. What would it look like if you and I craved and strived after and aimed at the kingdom of God and God's righteousness in the world? One other, not as often, translation you could use is demand. What would it look like if that's what we did? Well, I think it would look like Indiana Jones looking for treasure, striving, thinking, meditating, reasoning, and getting the treasure. But those things are hard to let go of. Let's just be honest. Letting go of money and wealth, those things are hard. Martin Luther, Deborah Hirsch and Alan Hirsch in their book, Untamed, quoted Martin Luther, the reformer, as saying there are three types of conversion. There's the conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and the conversion of the purse. John Wesley said something similar. He said... The last thing to be converted about a person is the wallet. And then that word righteousness. Dikaiosune. It means, can be translated as both, right standing with God, righteousness, and right standing with our neighbor's justice. It is translated in some places as justice. It can mean both of those things in the translation. Righteousness, how we live in relationship to God. Justice, how we live in relationship to our neighbor's. And all of this picture of God's kingdom, God's righteousness, God's justice, and what we are to seek after, to me, comes together in one of my favorite passages of Scripture from the prophet Micah, chapter 6. And there, Micah is wrestling with what to do, how to respond to God's judgment. What has he got to do? What do they got to do to, as it were, get back in God's favor? To make things okay. What kind of special sacrifice do they have to offer? Or maybe it's a whole lot of sacrifices. What is going to do the trick? And so Micah muses. He says, what, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And I picture Micah pausing right there, contemplating, reflecting, and then it comes to him. And then he says this, he has shown you O mortal, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That is the kingdom of God. That is righteousness and that is justice. It's all wrapped up there. This has been a part of who God is forever. As we look at these passages in Matthew 6, we may be tempted to ask, at least I am tempted to ask, yes, but what about people in impoverished communities around the world or in our community? Do these things Jesus is saying work? Do they translate into those situations? Or isn't it just a little bit arrogant and insensitive of us to say, don't strive, to say to the poor, don't strive to have your basic needs met? Well, it probably won't surprise you to know that I don't actually have the answers to all these questions. I don't know everything. It's difficult, but I don't. But here's what I do know. I imagine some of those questions trouble some of you as well. 
When I was in the Congo a couple of years ago, these questions troubled me. We talk all about God providing, but I look around me and it ain't what it looks like here. And it's very hard. Now, they were very joyful, happy people there. Don't get me wrong. But the questions trouble me. And so I think we have a twofold responsibility in how we deal with what we learn here that I hope will be a part of an answer here. The first is we respond to and apply these things to our own lives. We respond to and apply these things to our own lives first. We have to begin there. We have to begin with ourselves. Don't spend a lot of energy looking around at other cultures and other parts of the world and say, yes, but do, does this work here? Does it work there? At least not at first. Start with your own life. What do I need to do in responding to what Jesus is teaching me here? How do I need to bow down to the God of Israel, the God of Jesus Christ, rather than the God of Mammon? Where do I need to be a person, become a person of a good eye rather than a bad eye? Where do I need to be storing up my treasures in heaven rather than on earth? So we, so we start with responding to these things in our own lives. Secondly, once we do that, once we live into the kingdom of God, once, once these things begin to transform us into more Christiform people, Christ-like people, once we live out of the center of God's reality of abundance, then we become the kind of people who are now called to pursue God's purposes in the world. We become those through whom God can meet the needs of those in need. Our responsibility is to apply these things first to ourselves and then to allow the Spirit and our practices, our spiritual practices, our cooperation with God in prayer to become the kind of people who can be the ones through whom God cares for and provides for those who are in need, those who are poor. I want you to imagine for just a minute, I want you to imagine what it would look like if the majority of people who attend a church anywhere in the greater Lafayette area, if the majority of people began to take Jesus' words here seriously, what would those churches look like? What would those churches look like? How would that transform our larger community if we began to take Jesus' teaching seriously here? In the book of Acts, chapter 2, just after the Spirit has fallen and the early church is born, the author of the book of Acts, Luke, summarizes what he is witnessing when all of these people are coming to faith. And he tells a story that we need to hear. And we can go right over these verses and, and think, oh, I've read that a thousand times, but stop and listen to what they're telling us about the first followers of Jesus after the coming of the Spirit. In Acts, chapter 2 verses 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
Has it ever occurred to you that the best form of evangelism we have is to live into the Sermon on the Mount? Is to live into the, the kind of life where we are transformed into people who simply don't have the time to worry because our capacity to trust in God's provision has expanded so much. Where we love each other, where we are generous with our possessions and with our finances, where we try to meet the needs of others who are in need. Do you know what would happen if the majority of churches in the greater Lafayette area began to do that? The Lord would add daily to their number those who are being saved. More people would come to know Christ, more people would enter into the kingdom, and more people would enter into the kingdom life. That is what we are about. The people that we prayed for just a few moments ago in the service, the people that, whose names you said I am promising to pray for in the coming year, that they would come to know Christ, this would impact them too. It will impact them if you are a person who's like that, but even more so if you're a part of a community that is thriving and becoming more and more those kinds of people. And we do not do these things alone. I remind you again. We do not do these things in a vacuum because the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus empower us to live life purposefully, and here it is, and abundantly in God's kingdom here, now, and forever. We have the power and the presence of the kingdom of God in our lives. We don't have to do this alone, and we don't, we don't have to do it without God, without the Spirit. We don't have to do it without one another. We can do this Together, we can learn from one another. In The Good and Beautiful Life, at the end of each chapter, there are soul training exercises, and this week's soul training exercise is prayer. Because the author, James Bryan Smith, realizes that prayer is a key uh, weapon in dealing with worry and anxiety. The Apostle Paul would agree in Philippians Chapter 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. I love this part. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul doesn't say, do these things and make your request to God, and you'll get every single one of them. He says, the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You can let the worry and the anxiety go so what he's asking us to do in that and it's in your bible app live event as well is he's asking us every day to allow for 10 to 15 minutes in the morning maybe you have to get up 10 to 15 minutes earlier and to prayerfully make a list of everything that is worrying you now again this chapter is mostly about finances because that's what a lot of people worry about but there can be other things too Make a list of everything that is worrying you. And then he says, prayerfully look at that list and ask, what can I do to remedy any of these situations? What action can I take? What is good and right? What is the right concern to have? And what can I do out of that concern that will remedy or at least mitigate these situations? And then you step out and you do it. Everything else he says, you turn over to God. You just give it to him. And if you have to do it all day long, all week, you just keep doing it. I can't control this. I give it to you. Make your request very clear. Make your request to God and ask him to answer your request. And then Jim Smith finishes with this paragraph. It's not going to be on the screen because it was just too long to get up there, but uh, hear this, what he says about prayer, and then we'll close in prayer. Prayer is a totally gratuitous gift. 
God is not obligated to give us this privilege. God gives us this gift to help us discover how loving and caring he is and to help us grow and mature, which is evidenced, evidenced by what we ask for. The deeper my heart is in the kingdom of God, the more my prayer life is focused on the well-being of others. This doesn't mean we shouldn't pray for our own needs, but even prayers for our own well-being will reflect the values of the kingdom more than the values of the world. Let's give ourselves to prayer, friends. When the things that worry us or make us anxious, the things we cannot control, arise and try to control our lives, let's begin by going to prayer. Would you pray with me as we close? God, we thank you again for your word. The word who comes to us in Christ Jesus and teaches us how to live, and your word in the pages of scripture and the power that you have, Lord God to speak and to move and to teach us and to transform us. We pray, oh God, that you would do that now in this time as we go from this place and reflect on these things, that you would make us aware, first of all, Lord, of all the blessings we have received that we could express our gratitude to you and give thanks. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to find uh, those places of prayer where we can give these things to you, those avenues where we can take our concern and step into action and those places where we simply have to release things to you. Lord, I pray that you would make of us a people who do not worry, a people who trust your provision, a people who, because of that, are able to be giving and generous and loving and kind. We pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus, who is our teacher, our Savior, and our Lord. Amen.